This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Our scripture reading today is the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Holy Gospel according to Mark verses uh, chapter 9, verses 2 to 10. Mark 9, 2 through 10. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, the Zen Buddhist teacher Joan Halifax speaks about mountains, and she notes that mountains have long been a geography for pilgrimages, a place where people have been both strengthened and humbled. They are symbols of the sacred. And so when Jesus invites the disciples up a mountain in our text, and note it's only three of them, not the full 12, and it says they went up a mountain by themselves. We know, right, that this is a special journey, a pilgrimage of sorts. And on a pilgrimage, one expects to find something, to have a spiritual encounter or experience, something that one doesn't find in the mundane of everyday life. I was able to go on a pilgrimage five years ago to the tiny Isle of Iona off the coast of Scotland. Now, the early Celts believed in what they called thin places, thin places, geographical locations scattered throughout Ireland and the British Isles, where a person experiences only a very thin divide between past, present, and future. Places where a person is somehow able, possibly even for only a moment, to experience something ancient, something holy, something divine. And Iona is famously such a place There's been a monastic presence there for centuries since St. 
Columba and his band of monks arrived on the isle in 563 of the Common Era. Now it's uh, a three, just under three and a half square mile island, so not, not a huge place uh, physically. It has a population of around 125, so pretty sparsely populated. And that includes uh, the Iona community, which is a monastic-inspired community that leads weekly hikes to the island's holy sites. They participate in communal worship, common meals, education, social activities, and communal chores. They're going to live in such an isolated place in community. Of course, there's work that they all have to do to make that happen. And I was able to join uh, several of their worship services, which happen in the huge stone Iona Abbey, a beautiful ancient cathedral dating back to 1200, so a nearly 900-year-old space of worship, a place that has cultivated a connection to the sacred for centuries. And words, in fact, really fail to do justice to it all. And when you're there, the remoteness of it, I mean, it took us a couple of bus rides and a couple of ferries to get there. And so the sheer remoteness of it off of the coast uh, there, the smell of the salt sea uh, as you're riding that last little ferry to the island and it begins to unfold before you, you see these old, beautiful uh, homes that are colorful, windswept. You see the hillside. It's incredible. And you discover the Stone Abbey, these very old gravestones, these ancient Celtic crosses, ruins. All of it lends to this incredible sense of historicity and holiness. And when we arrived, the first thing I did was take off to the, the highest point in the island, not really know anything about it, but we'd been on the bus a long time on the ferry after we stopped, dropped our stuff off at uh, the small hotel we were staying at. I just took off by myself to the highest point I could find. It turned out um, this is a hill called <coughs> Dun E, Dun E. And Dun E is the highest point on the island. I think I read it's like 330 some feet above sea level. So it's no mountain, but it is the highest point on the island. And Dun is Gaelic for hill, and E is the ancient name for Iona. And so it turns out it's called the Hill of Iona. Very creative. And it's a place from which it's possible to see the whole of the island. So I climbed up there, took off my shoes, sat down in the grass, and just breathed in the salty air. And as I was trying to sort of recapture my experience of this, in preparing for this sermon, I remembered I had written about this experience some years ago. And I wrote about it in a piece called Iona Musings, so I'm going to ask you to indulge me. I'm going to read a little bit of it here to try to recapture my experience in that moment. A slight wind sweeps over the rocky hill, a cool relief after my quick walk and brief climb. Shoes off, I lean back on the grassy spot I've claimed and look around to get my bearings. Wide expanses of blue sea encircle this small island I've just arrived on. Green pastures filled with grazing sheep and cows stretch out below me. Occasional white farmhouses dot the landscape. 
Across the bay, small islands in the rocky coast of Mull are visible. In the distance, I can see the abbey, outpost of monks and pilgrims, survivor of centuries of harsh coastal weather, an emblem of the holiness that permeates this sacred isle. I have arrived on Iona, place of pilgrimage, refuge, and prayers. A spot thought to be so holy that only the thinnest of margins separates heaven from earth. The thinnest of thin places, a small western isle where an Irish abbot established a monastic community centuries ago and where pilgrims have been traveling ever since. Our ferry has landed moments before and I immediately felt drawn to walk, as I noted, to the hill of Dunee, the highest spot on the island. I've come as a part of a group of pilgrims from across the U.S. and Canada. We each come for our own reasons though connection with the holy and with the earth are themes of our collective journey. The clouds that began our travels to the island back in Glasgow have given way to blue skies, hinting perhaps that though we began our journey with questions and wonderings, maybe the island itself or the collective presence of many pilgrim prayers will afford some clarity. Breathing in the fresh, sea-salted air, that seems a reasonable hope. I try not to put the burden of unreasonable expectations on the journey. A mountaintop experience might be too much to expect as I sit on this reasonably small hill. Do I have questions hoping to be answered? Yes. Where is my own journey going? How does one separate vocation from calling, job from identity, livelihood from personhood. Where is God in the difficult and dark places in our world? What does true community look like? By the way, this was an experience happening just before, the same year we founded Holland UCC. Yet the feel of the rock and the grass under my bare feet, the expanding vistas of remarkably blue and turquoise waters tell me that whatever unfolds will not disappoint. But for now, it is good to sit quietly in this spot alone. Questions and hopes mingle together on the gentle breeze. I sit and simply breathe, receiving this moment as gift. Just sit in that for a moment. Have you had a powerful spiritual experience, a mountaintop experience, as it were? What was that like? What did you experience there, wherever it was? Well, as these disciples make their way up this mountain, they are quickly greeted by an incredible vision of the sacred. The text says, he, that is Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. 
Wow, right? Incredible. And to top it off, two of the most central figures in the history of the Jewish faith appear alongside Jesus, <coughs> Moses and Elijah, and they're having a conversation? I mean, I'm not sure a more complete spiritual experience could be asked for. And Peter, like any of us would want to do, he wants to make it last. I'll build some tents here, Jesus. Some lean-tos, you'll all be very comfortable. John can grab some wood for a fire, and James, he's a mean cook. We'll just hang out for a while. I don't blame him, right? This is the event of a lifetime. It's one of those, okay, I can die now, type of experiences. But just as he's drawing up the plans for the dwellings in his mind, a cloud envelops them. And a voice from somewhere in the cloud says, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And just like that, Elijah and Moses disappear. Jesus is back to normal. And Peter is left mouth agape, wondering if he had just imagined it all. So what to make of all of this? Is such a mountaintop experience the goal of the spiritual life, of the Christian life? And does this event prove something about the divinity of Jesus or about a certain doctrinal understanding or another? Well, it's easy to get wrapped up in all of that, isn't it? But it turns out, it seems to me, this event is about something much less heavenly, much less dazzling and much more earthy and mundane. The voice, remember, says simply, listen to him. Listen to him. Well, what has Jesus just said? So it's important in understanding this to go back to the chapter prior. And in the previous chapter, Mark 8, verse 31, it says, Then he, of course, meaning Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Verse 32 says, He said all this quite openly. This experience was a divine confirmation of the mission of Jesus, a mission to suffer and to serve, to take on the powers that be and unmask their ways as opposed to the way of God, to show that love is stronger than hate and stronger even than death. Well, how did Peter react to Jesus saying these things? Verse 32 goes on to say, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter wasn't into this death and suffering nonsense. We've got a good thing going here, Jesus. Why all this doom and gloom talk? Well, verse 33 goes on to say, Turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Aha, there's the heart of it, right? We imagine that the divine things that they saw on the mountaintop are the point. 
that the spiritual life is really about powerful visions and experiences, encounters with transcendent beings. Ironically, it turns out those are human things, human longings. The divine things Jesus speaks of are much more difficult. They involve service and suffering in giving yourself over so completely to the way of God, even perhaps to the point of death. Jesus goes on in chapter 8 to say this, and remember, these words are happening just before this transfiguration mountaintop event in chapter 9. Jesus says, If any want to follow, or if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit? their very lives. We want, very often, to have a religion of razzle-dazzle, of mountaintop experiences, of visions of glory and power. But even the most heavenly event in Jesus' ministry is one that confirms the utter earthiness of his mission. The dirt and grit of service, of suffering, of struggle. And so it turns out the divine things, the highest things, are found in the lowest places. The more we focus on the spectacular in the spiritual life or get wrapped up in our theological debates about the divinity of Jesus or ranking the importance of figures like Moses and Elijah, the more we miss the obvious but challenging invitation to give our lives in service to others, to be willing to walk into the hard places, to suffer and to serve, to get our hands dirty and to love in the most earthy of ways. So the question remains, is it worthwhile to seek out mountaintop spiritual experiences? Was I misled to go on a pilgrimage to an ancient site? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all, but we must always allow such experiences to fuel us into our mission of following Jesus. Following Jesus into the hardest places where we can shine a light, incarnate love, bring freedom for the oppressed, and good news to the poor. In fact, one of the neatest discoveries I had on the Isle of Iona was the the current day Iona community. A group of folks, some who live on the island, some who are stretched across Scotland and across, uh, across the globe, a community which centers its existence on service and justice, on peace and justice. And this Iona community was founded in Glasgow 
and Iona in 1938 by George MacLeod, a Scottish minister, visionary, and prophetic witness for peace in the context of the poverty and despair of the Great Depression. And so from uh, a Dockland parish in Govan, Glasgow, he took unemployed, skilled craftsmen and some young clergy to Iona to both rebuild the monastic quarters of the medieval abbey and the common life by working and living together, by sharing skills and effort and joys and achievement. And that original task became a sign of the hopeful rebuilding of of community in Scotland and beyond. And so in the depths of suffering and despair, this holy site rekindled that ancient mission of Jesus. And their working principles today say, we are motivated by our shared commitment to Jesus Christ and his proclamation of a just and generous new order. By our own experience of the common life and by a creative spiritual practice of prayer, song, silence, and sacrament. We actively campaign for social justice at all levels and have a particular commitment to to inclusion of people living in poverty. We deplore economic injustice. We are committed to the common good, to trade justice, and to a critique of economic policies that increase poverty and inequality. We support our work through our own giving and our trading operations. We operate a balanced budget try to bank and invest ethically and purchase fairly traded goods. We seek social transformation and encourage our members to be engaged in civic and political structures at all levels. We actively seek collaboration with all people of goodwill who share our commitment to just and nonviolent action, irrespective of nationality, religion, or political creed. Man, makes you want to join, right? Oh my goodness. Incredible. Incredible. And I had the opportunity to sit with members of this community in that ancient abbey and experience their community worship where different people share their gifts of of music and story and preaching. I was able to sit around long wooden tables and share meals with them. And as I did and heard the banter between young students who are newer to the island and gray-haired veterans who had been there a long time, as I heard them sharing food and drink, heard stories of their work and participated uh, in all that they were doing, it was clear to me that service was central and justice was the heartbeat of all that they did. And I discovered that there, in the most spiritual of places, that the message, the ancient message on the mountaintop had been heard, this is my beloved son, listen to him. (coughs) So may all our spiritual experiences, wherever they happen, lead us to a place like that. Amen. And namaste.
you are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Thank you.